Resolute Square. My guest today is my bestie, my podcasting co-conspirator, the great, the one, the only Molly Jong Fast. Well, welcome to the Enemies List, Molly. I just wanted to, to thank you again for coming on the show today. And I want to talk a little bit about the article that you wrote this week for Vanity Fair that a lot of people are talking about. The article was Stop Treating Polls as Actual News Events. Talk us through what led you to write this piece this week and, and, and tell us a little bit about what your, what your discoveries and thoughts were on it when you were, when you were putting this thing together, because the poll question is the obsession of everyone all the time. And, and I think you got to the guts and the heart of why it's often a very silly pursuit. So I actually uh, was listening to a political podcast that is neither mine nor yours And there was this throwaway line where one of the anchors said, well, we all know polls are pseudo events. And I thought, polls are pseudo events? What the fuck does that mean? So I went back and I looked up the idea, the guy who created pseudo events, a guy called Daniel Borstein in 1962, Mm -hmm. uh, wrote a book about uh, the sort of, which it was it was more about like PR and uh, press conferences and press releases and the ways in which the media manipulates the news consumer, if that makes sense. He, his thesis is that polls, it, it, he doesn't come out about polls, but his thesis is that there are organic events and there are inorganic events. There are these sort of synthetic events that are created by campaigns or media outlets uh, and that these events should not, these synthetic events should not drive the narrative the way organic events do. And or the and, and if you think about it, if you look at polling, it's not just, and, and again, I think the best case against polling is 2016. Sure. Right, where you had Hillary Clinton the the Comey letter drops and her chances of becoming president go down to 78%. Right? That's the lowest they ever go. 78%. And then they go back up to 90%. You know, and you go back and you look through all the writing about it and there are endless pieces. I mean, endless pieces about the odds of a Hillary Clinton presidency. And in fact, there are pieces that say things like there's no electoral path, electoral Congress path for Donald Trump. Nothing, no path. So, uh, and they the, all of these pieces focus on the odds, but none of them focus on the stakes, which is this idea. Jay Rosen got to the core of it, right? The NYU professor Jay Rosen, who writes about 
that that instead of horse race journalism, we on the opinion side, which is, you know, it's hard, right, us, uh, should be focused on the stakes and not the odds. And one of the sort of tricks of opinion writing, and there are people who really just do this who are like more on the data side, uh, is that you can write an opinion piece and peg it to poll results. And while you see that quite a lot, you also see something else, which I think is actually even worse than that, which is this idea that you take things you've learned in polls and you use them as suppositions to continue to make a thesis, which may or may not be right. Uh, I think you have a piece in the Washington Post last week, which talked about uh, Dems, the border has caught up with Democrats, right? Border security has caught up with Democrats. So the supposition here is that the polls show that people are concerned with border security. Again, you know, who even knows what the, the question you, are you concerned with the border? Are you worried about people coming for your job, you know, who even knows how that was phrased, but that that is now a big problem as opposed to even a focus group, which might provide you with a little more insight. You just have these polls that are used as facts and then grow into whatever this is. You know, I think with the border question, you, you hit on something that's an actual known artifact in polling. It's called the socially desirable response. And so when people are asked a question in a survey, and you ask them, hey, are you a racist? Nobody says they're a racist. Hey, do you like education? Everyone says they love education. Hey, do you want a secure border? Well, sure, everyone wants a secure border. And so they conflate a lot of these minimally considered responses into, as you're saying, a huge fact pattern in articles and in op-eds and in, and in, the, way they, in the way they set up to, to, to do weeks of coverage sometimes. I mean, we, we've had more Biden's polls are terrible stories than I think I've ever seen when other presidents had comparable or worse poll numbers. You've definitely, you can find headlines that say Reagan's polls are terrible. He should drop out. Sure. Saw it with Obama for mm-hmm. sure. But I also wonder how much of these polls are just wrong. For example, I'm thinking of the the midterm elections, Right. Biden did this democracy. He did this push for democracy. And you saw pundits say, like, this is stupid. This is not going to work. Nobody votes on democracy. They only vote on the economy. And it actually was wrong. Like, Biden was right. They voted on democracy and not the economy. I will tell you a quick story. In early 22, uh, a couple of us were at a big meeting of a bunch of major Democratic donors. And there was a briefing by by some committee folks. And it was like, this election is going to come down to inflation, gas prices, and prescription drug benefits costs. And I, I, you know, as, as usual, I kept my mouth shut, which is to say, I said, are you out of your fucking mind? This race is going to be about democracy because the Capitol was almost burned to the ground a year ago today or whatever the day it was early in January and, and uh, of 22. And, and I just like, there's a sort of herd instinct in Washington to try to frame issues into polling that have become just noise. There no, there's no signal there anymore. It's like when people say, what is your top issue? Oh, it's the economy. Is, is it though? Because that right. means so much. That's like the blind guys who seven blind men who walk up to an elephant and one touches the trunk and says, this creature is a snake. 
and one touches the tail and it says, this is a thin snake. One touches the belly and says, this is a giant ball. You know, they, 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 their perceptions of it are all blind. They don't understand where they're, yeah. what they're really describing when they say the economy or immigration or crime. And that is a really good point. It's funny because I think about this idea, people, the, the narrative we're getting right now, and again, is it right? Is it wrong? I don't know. But the media narrative, which tends not to necessarily connect with what's actually happening with voters on the ground, the media narrative we're getting right now is that inflation is bad and voters are mad. And by they think Biden's too old because they can't verbalize they're mad about inflation. I don't think that's necessarily true, but that's what I'm, that's sort of the underlying media ecosystem. And I think there's been an awful lot of, um, see how fair we are. We're treating Biden just as badly as we would have treated Trump in, when he was in office. I think there's been a lot of that both sides of some garbage. But you do see, one thing I think a lot of media pollsters and media outlets underestimate is the degree to which the MAGA and Fox News and Trump ecosystem will take an otherwise innocuous poll and try to turn it into a major narrative because they're much better at setting those narratives. And I mean, one of them right now that you're getting much more coverage on Fox about is, oh, young voters have abandoned Biden over Gaza and Israel. And the young voters will stay home and young voters won't do this. When you get down into the sample sizes of the polls so far of these 18 to 29-year-old registered voters, the sample sizes and the numbers are de minimis. They are statistical jokes by and large. And, and I just find it fascinating that, that a lot of folks in the mainstream media do not understand how quickly these things get weaponized against not just Biden himself, but, but against democracy. It's, it's a fascinating mechanism of these things that doesn't seem to be, there doesn't seem to be a lot of consciousness of this mechanism. I mean, I would also add that, and again, this is not, you know, we don't know how anyone's going to feel in 11 months, but it does strike me that. We saw a similar thing with the withdrawal from Afghanistan. I was told that the withdrawal from Afghanistan meant the Democrats would lose everything always forever. Look, what's very interesting about this is that people under 40 and people over 50 have a completely different sense of wars outside of the United States. And you are not you. These people under 40 do not want to be involved in foreign wars, no matter who they're with. And I think that is a really important data point, which is going to shift the American economy if it continues on this way in ways we can't imagine. I also think that, you know, people under 40, they are getting their news, God save us all, from TikTok. Which is owned by the Chinese government. Of course it is. Just to push back for a minute as the liberal in this conversation, <laughs> uh, I would not discount the disinterest in foreign wars because I do think we're far enough away from World War II where there there's not a collective memory of oh, no. not the all. United States intervening and it ending, quote unquote, well or well-er. I don't disagree with that, actually. There, there's actually some good statistical research to show that. Voters under 30 tend to be less engaged politically. And so it sort of fascinates me that one or two surveys 
there's basically emerged this giant narrative that young voters are betraying Joe Biden. They're going to go and vote for what? Donald Trump? Right, or not vote, or vote for RFK Jr. I mean, that's what Carvo was saying to me today. I think it's so early, it's a little early to damn Biden's entire reelection campaign. Economic results tend to take six to nine months to percolate through into the minds of voters. So mm-hmm. in the last month, what have we had? Gas has gone on every day for the last 60 days. We've had inflation moderating now to points where the fabled soft landing is going to happen. You've seen uh, an explosion in job availability in this country. We've got more jobs than we have people right now. It's insane. Wages have gone up. So you've got a bunch of wins on the table that may take a while to percolate through for Biden. But, you know, like the New York Times pitch bot is never wrong. It's like Biden achieves this and that. Is it too much too soon? (laughs) So I want to ask you a little bit about our favorite uh, nightmare subject. You know, Donald Trump is seemingly more and more unhinged on his dollar store social network on truth. And yet the surveys, to get back to surveys, and the early state voting patterns don't seem to be breaking towards anybody else's direction. I mean, we'll have a Nikki Haley bubble, right? But we won't have, but it doesn't seem like we're going to go much further than that. It seems like Trump will wrap this up pretty quickly. What do you ascribe the the insanity lately too is it the court cases or is it just he's slipped more and more into the fucking void i can't quite put my finger on it lately well i also think important to pause for a second and just open the door because i want you to answer this i'm gonna be annoying and ask you a question now doesn't it seem to you like nikki haley has a sort of hail mary chance i mean the Koch brothers would not go all in on this unless they thought there was a shot right Nikki has to pull off a perfect hat trick in the first three races. Right. And right. that would change the ball game. Now, the problem is she's still behind Ron DeSantis in Iowa. And DeSantis is, is dumping every penny he's got into Iowa. He's not getting out. Casey does not want him to get out. Nikki's numbers are rising in New Hampshire, but there's probably a boundary layer she's going to hit pretty soon somewhere in the mid-20s, which leaves Trump in the 50s, high 40s, low 50s. South Carolina, she's in a distant second. So let's say she wins New Hampshire, which is, I think, her best play. Does it hurt Trump? It hurts Trump. It breaks some of the shield of invulnerability and inevitability and all that. Then we go to Super Tuesday. Winner take all states almost completely. You've got two big states on Super Tuesday. Um, where Donald Trump leads in Texas by 55% and in California by about 50% over his nearest rival. Those two states are going to give him, and the rest of Super Tuesday, going to give him a quarter of what he needs to win the nomination right there. March 12th, he's going to go to Florida. He is going to dive into Florida and beat Ron DeSantis by 40 points. He's going to humiliate DeSantis in Florida. That gives you another 120-some delegates. At that point, oh, he's also going to win Ohio on Super Tuesday, or or not Super Tuesday, on on March 19th. At that point, you have Trump in absolute control of the calendar um, for the rest of the the time. And the Koch brothers are going to go in. They're going to try to help. But 
they can't go into every one of these states and build up a big political infrastructure in the first week of December for races that start happening in 46 days. So it's really, the math is really tough. The electoral math is is just really bad. And also the the other thing is, even if she won two or three of those, even if she were able to somehow magically win all those states and everybody else dropped out, first of all, for her to do that, you would have to have DeSantis drop out, which is not happening. He is... 100% not going to drop out. He is he has been asked by a lot of big donors who've said please do this, we'll take care of you. You'll be great. We love you. You'll be here in the future. You're a young man and the response has been go fuck yourself. And I'm told by sources inside the Santa's administration world, it's all Casey. Like she will not let him drop out. So if he won't drop out, the what the play would be, there isn't really not a path for her to win the three. And even if she were to win the three, Trump would still run as the third party candidate. Even if Trump went home and said, fuck it, I'm done. About 30% in our model, about 30% of Republican voters, the, the ones that Trump pulled out of the darkness, these low propensity Republican voters in 2016 and 2020, They'll go home. They're not going to vote for anybody but Trump. They're done at that point. It's like, I'm going to take my toy and go home. I'm not going to do this. You didn't give me what I wanted, and I want Trump. So, again, Nikki running and and putting a, a hole in Trump, spearing him a little bit, you know, I, I, I'm, all, I'm here for it. Okay, I love it. It's great. Super. Fan, fantastic. Anything that causes him pain and suffering, I'm, I'm 100% in favor of. But... It's it's necessary, but not necessarily sufficient when you get down to it, because at the end of the day, he has still got this massive advantage. I mean, on Super Tuesday, like I said, he picks up about, if he wins the big four states on Super Tuesday, that's 16% of the delegate pool right there. And once he picks up Florida and Ohio on, uh, on the 19th, that's another, call it, uh, 10%. Let's just round number it. So she's, and by the way, the rest of Super Tuesday is going to all go to Trump too, because those are really red states. You think Alabama is going to pick Nimrata Haley or whatever her, whatever, the, whatever <laughs> Trump calls her. I mean, and that, right. and look, let's be real about another thing. This is the Republican party. Right. And, and they will, there, there will be a, element of the Republican party that will look at her and say, she's a damn dirty immigrant. There'll be an element of the Republican right. party that says There's- she's an uppity woman. The bubble Nikki will experience is going to be uh, fun to watch for the next month and a half. But like a lot of other bubbles, I mean, look a, a year ago, everyone in Ron DeSantis's world was picking up their curtains in their offices in the West wing. Right. And a lot right. of reporters right. were that like, this will be the inevitable campaign. He's so brilliant. Da, 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 da. And, Look, I mean, reporters were coming down here to Florida, to Tallahassee, and like, I need to get an apartment down there because I mean, it's going to be the center of the campaign. I'm like, <laughs> the fuck are you talking about? But, but yeah, I just, I, I just think that 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 we're going to have. Uh, there's a lot of last minute shuffling going on here. Like the donor class would love to have Nikki get back, uh, you know, uh, an, enough juice to to hurt him. But it's really too late. It's fatal. It? Yeah, it's it's fatal. Everybody that's given yeah. Nikki money now, they just know they're going to have to do the same thing again with Trump in, in this early spring. And 
as you may have heard, the Republican Party is changing convention dates to move it earlier. And there's a really good chance that Ronna McDaniel in the spring declares him to be the Republican nominee early because they want to protect him legally and start the money cash flow pipe for the general. Republicans are not they're, – they're having some problems with their – with the RNC fundraise. They're, oh, well, actually, all the committees are having problems right now. And I'll tell you, I mean, there's there's two big names to blame it on, Donald Trump and Mike Johnson. I think you'd agree that Mike Johnson's going to be worse for the Republicans than Nancy Pelosi ever was for the Democrats when it comes to being a scare figure. Because, listen, I made, yes. made, I made probably a couple hundred ads with like, liberal Nancy Pelosi. She's so liberal that even liberal liberals think she's too liberal. That sort of crap, right? Meanwhile, she's Catholic and has like 57 children and like comes from a fancy family and is like the most. Anyway, continue. Yes. The idea that you're going to have Mike Johnson out there at the head of the NRCC, who his overt, super hyper weirdo level of, of evangelical stay home and get pregnant little lady Christianity. Um, That creeps out the big donors a lot. The chaos in the house has creeped out the small donors because they're like, who, what am I buying here? What what am I, what am I investing in here? What am I trying to accomplish? Cause they're not doing a damn thing. And, and of course, Trump is the black hole. He sucks all the money in off the top. He skims a ton of the money from every campaign that uses his name off the top. And so you end up with this, um, their their list is pretty burned right now. Now, will that come back? Of course it will. Because once Trump is the actual nominee, the, there'll be less bleeding at the lower levels into the presidential campaigns. But their their overall top-line credibility is really shaky. I don't know how closely you're following the Mike Johnson story, but what do you give, what do you give his odds? I mean, I think the guy's actually on pretty thin ice, really. Well, so they kicked the... Right. The CR, this tiered CR, which is like the scammiest of scams. Right. So it's going to do a continuing resolution. But as opposed to the one that made McCarthy lose his job, uh, this CR is going to be more complicated. And ergo, it will not uh, get the ire of the burn it all down caucus, this sort of Matt Gates crew. But I think ultimately, I mean, it's funny, it was actually... I had lunch with a member yesterday who was saying that he had come in in the same class as Mike Johnson and that Mike Johnson's a really nice guy. And that's why they picked him because he's, he was sort of, but he said, it's like us making, it's like us, the Democrats, he's a Democrat, making Joe Neguse the Speaker of the House, right? He's number four, right? You could, so you've gone through that you've gone through Hakeem and uh, Representative Clark and Pete Aguilar, you've gotten to four. And that's what this is like. So he said it's kind of insane that you would make your fourth in charge, the Speaker of the House. Um, I think that he's going to have real problems when it comes to, look, the fundamental, Matt Gates's crew wants to shut down the government, right? They don't want to legislate. So I don't, and, you know, the Senate is not going to pass a 30 percent reduction. Maybe they pass a 5 percent reduction in spending. And then you have a problem, which is that the MAGA caucus doesn't want any foreign aid, right? They don't, they don't want Ukraine. They don't want – maybe they want Israel. But I don't know. And they want to tie it to border security. By the way, border security, what the fuck does that mean? You mean Joe Biden, who's, who's 
had a tougher policy on the border in actuality than Donald Trump did. Only he just wouldn't put the kids in cages. Can we just talk about the border though for a second? Like why can't they fucking have let people come into this country? We're a population in decline, right? We have a tight labor market. We need people to work. Like, let me just say this. Parts of my family are in agriculture, the, 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 the medium to bigger kind, not, not subsistence farming. Getting work, getting laborers right now is impossible. We're, I mean, people are losing harvests all over this country because it's impossible to get folks um, at all. And it's not you – can, you can offer $25 an hour and, and, and you're still not able to get them because of, of, of these unbelievable draconian policies in the states. Florida and Texas in particular. I mean, I just don't understand what the end game is. The idea here is you punish immigrants and the base likes it. But ultimately, you're going to have to fund Social Security and have people are going to need to have people work. I mean, for example, I think a lot about these child labor laws in the red states. You have these red state governors like Sarah Sanders signing bills into law that set that, that reduce punishment for employing children because the idea is that they're going to have migrant children work in these factories, which I don't think is the most effective way to get stuff done. Well, you know, look, uh, there's nothing children at the age of eight or nine love more than going down in the pit for coal every day. You know, a child <laughs> working the coal face builds character and, and really teaches them to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. After the mine collapses on tiny bootstraps, (laughs) they're tiny, tiny bootstraps, tiny bootstraps. So one more subject I wanted to hit with you today before we, before we let you go. One of our favorites looks like he's on, on an immediate death watch right now. It's the fabulous George Santos. Fresh. He just looks fresh. Um, fresh. George Santos is, is preparing to be voted out of Congress. What do you think the future holds for George Santos? I mean, he's got to find a niche, right? Right. I want to know, what did he buy at Irma's? A belt. He spent 45, a belt? Belts, apparently. Nice, nice. Uh, So George Santos, he's got, uh, he's got the Irma's, he's got the OnlyFans, he's got the Botox, uh, use campaign funds for all of them, and also... A house rental in Miami, I think, or as one does Palm Beach, maybe. Why not? As one does, um, you know, he definitely is going to make a play. I, I, you know, I don't know. Newsmax contributorship, right side broadcasting. He definitely ends up having a podcast and a show, right? Oh, he has a. He's going to get a podcast and a show for sure. I mean, there's no question about that in my mind. Or he could be the secretary of fabulousness for Donald Trump. If there's another Trump administration, you could see. I mean, I don't think a George Santos ends up in the administration, but it's not impossible. I mean, he's had worse people. And I mean, remember his uh, e- EPA? Oh, yeah. I mean, the the Zinke, the, 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 the number of people yeah. in the Trump administration who were as bad as George Santos, you know, and you have to go to the gold standard of that shit. Yes, Santos is lavishly corrupt. Did he get $2 billion from the Saudi Arabians? Hmm. No, that would be Jared. So, well, anyway, <laughs> Molly John Fast, what else is on your mind in the world today or this week? And I'll, then I'll let you, uh, let'll get you get on with your fabulous day. Whether or not Congress will vote to dump Santos, that would happen. You'd need a, 
I, I, you need a two thirds vote. I think that I think they get there. Yeah, I think they get there. I, I think they get there, but it'll be fun to watch. That's right. Molly Jong Fast, thank you so much, as always, my friend, for joining me on the enemies list. I look forward to seeing you again uh, this weekend to record our Monday podcast of the of uh, Fast Politics. It's a lot of cross pollination, folks. So, That's right. all right. Well, thank you again, Molly. Appreciate you, and we'll see you next time on the enemies list. On the enemies list today is a weird one, kind of off kilter for me, but it's Sports Illustrated. This week, Sports Illustrated was busted for using AI-generated articles with fake authors on their uh, on, on, on Sports Illustrated's website. So you have these AI-generated stories with fake bios attached to them and, and, and fake headshots of these authors. Folks, this is crazy town. Stop it. This is nuts. AI is going to be a big part of our world. It's going to be a big part of our lives. It's going to be a big part of, of the creative process. But be candid about it. Be real about it. So when Sports Illustrated got caught, they took all of the, uh, of the articles and the headshots down, pretending it never happened. But it happened. This is unacceptable. There needs to be at least some basic standard of ethics uh, in media and in journalism that if you're using something that is generated by AI, you say so. If you're writing an AI story with an AI bot developing something, you say so. You don't try to pretend it's real people doing it. Uh, this is a, prob- a modern problem. I-, I hope Sports Illustrated addresses this immediately because it really, if this spread throughout the rest of the media, it would, en- it would endanger a lot of the credibility that's very tenuous even as we speak. So with that, Sports Illustrated, you're on the enemies list. Fix it, get out, be done. Thanks again for listening to The Enemies List. If you have any comments, questions, or if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast, hit me up on Twitter at TheRickWilson. Thanks again for the wonderful support you've shown the pod. We're growing fast. It really helps if you will share this with your friends, your family, and anyone else who, like us, is trying to save democracy. While you're at it, if you could rate and review the podcast, I would be very much appreciative. I know this is the sort of thing you've heard a billion times. Please rate, review, like, blah, blah, blah. But you need to do it. It really does help us a lot. We are slaves to the algorithm, my friends. And if you do this, it will help get the pod out further. Anyway, thanks again for listening. I'll see you next time. And remember, whatever you do, stay off the list.